Thank you. Let's make certain this is on, and can everyone hear me? Okay, very good. Thanks very much, Eric, for uh, allowing me to come in today and speak, and thanks, everyone, uh, for showing up and listening to what I hope is a story that won't bore some of you to tears. I'll try to make it uh, entertaining. I get to speak quite often, but not very, not very often to a group of students who may have an interest in some of the things that you're studying, entrepreneurship, maybe doing something different in your careers. So I welcome being able to do that. Uh, I must say, kind of back to what Eric said a moment ago, uh, I was a student here at Mississippi State, but I don't remember ever walking into a room and one of my professors saying you get an extra week to do an assignment. Uh, that's quite a, quite a good thing to be able to do. Anyway, uh, what I thought we would start with is walking through a little bit of my background. Uh, believe me, the last thing I want to do is sit up here and dwell on my background and my career progression but I think it might be helpful or maybe useful for some of you to see what my progression was and what the roadmap was. And then we can talk a little bit about my company and what I'm doing today. Uh, because believe me, I enjoy what I'm doing. I think it's a lot of fun. And as you move forward out of your studies and into your future career, uh, that's the number one thing I would tell you is make certain what you're doing is something fun and something that you enjoy. Uh, after that, uh, I've got a couple of things uh, I'll put up here. Some people would call them wisdom. Some people would call them advice. I'm just going to call them random thoughts. Uh, hopefully, they'll apply to you. Maybe it'll connect with a few of you. And if so, uh, that's fantastic. And then wrap up with uh, questions from the group. I would very much like this to be a dialogue than a monologue. The last thing I want to do is stand up here and, and talk for 40 minutes. So please, uh, any questions you may have, jump in and, and let's talk through them. I'll also say I uh, am getting over a cold, so if I get choked up in the middle of this, it's not because I'm crying due to lack of attention or anything. It's uh, just trying to get past it. One thing that would help me is to understand a little bit about you. Uh, so can I get a show of hands, Just and I don't know if everyone's going to raise their hands or what here. Uh, how many of you are pursuing a technical degree or an engineering degree? Okay. I feel comfortable with my audience. Uh, how about uh, anyone from the business area? Uh, okay, so there's one person, two people. All right, we'll try not to talk too much about that. Uh, no, actually, you're going to see today I have a very strong belief in the fundamental need for most technical and engineering personnel who are going to pursue something of an entrepreneurial manner to understand business to a much greater degree uh, than I think a lot of people would expect. Also, can I get a show of hands? How many of you are, let's say, junior, senior? Okay, very good, very good. So you've been at this a uh, while, and you, you have a pretty firm feeling of what you want to do. That's good to see. Um, any chemical engineers, by chance? Fantastic. Okay, that's great. Uh, pursuing a chemical engineering degree and talking about entrepreneurship, in my mind, was always a struggle uh, because you typically end up working for very large companies, and sometimes you can get lost in that. So it's great to see you uh, here and wanting to learn about that. And then one final question. Uh, how many of you happen to be from out of state? Okay, very good. All right, so we'll dive in uh, a little bit into my background. Again, we'll try to go through this fairly quickly. 
I actually originally am from Helena, Arkansas, so that's why I have the fantastic southern drawl accent. Uh, I've been out of the states of Arkansas and Mississippi for about 25 years now, but I still have the accent uh, that travels with me. But my background in Helena, I mean, obviously, all I want to point out, very small town. Most towns in Mississippi are fairly small. Uh, I value that. I treasure the fact growing up somewhere small, somewhere fairly southern. I think it puts a lot of good values uh, in for you. Let's see. Okay. So way, way, way back a long time ago, I attended Mississippi State. I started in the summer of 88. I believe my uh, first chemistry class was in this room. This room seemed a lot bigger to me back then. Uh, it's not, not, uh, not nearly as big. But the reason that brought me to Mississippi State, to be very honest, was scholarships. Uh, I did not come from a background that enabled me to just pick out any school I wanted to go to. I needed a, a good financial benefit, and that, this Mississippi State addressed that for me. Uh, I was also a co-op student. Have any of you done co-op uh, assignments? Very good. I found that to be very beneficial. Not only does it allow you to see the real workforce, but it also shows you some of the things, maybe even more helpful, that you realize you don't want to do. And so I saw a number of people learn some very good things out of that. I, I valued the experience very much. I received my engineering degree at the end of 1992, and then shortly thereafter took an engineering assignment with a company called Texas Petrochemicals, which probably does not mean that much to anyone in the room, but the owner of Texas Petrochemicals at that time was Dave Swalm, who uh, the chemical engineering uh, building is named after. And then following that, uh, in 1998, I went and got an MBA. And we'll talk a little bit more about what I see as the value or not of having that as you move forward. So let's talk a moment about my career and how I progressed from really walking out the door with a piece of paper that says you've graduated from Mississippi State stamped on it to today. Uh, just like everyone else, came out, became a process engineer, uh, thought I would step out and change the world immediately, and really dove right into it. I accepted the position with Texas Petrochemicals, uh, figured out quickly, okay, I'm uh, one of 500 people working at a company, so how can I make an impact on it? And from day one, I was not setting out to be an entrepreneur. I really just wanted to make a contribution, put my mark on something. And so I had to struggle to find ways to do that. Uh, one thing that I knew well was statistical analysis and how to introduce that to processes, and I applied that everywhere I could. Thankfully, I was working in a very, very old chemical plant, so ways to improve things were fairly simple to me. Coming straight out of school, having an analytical mind, I could approach that pretty easily and make a very good impact. What I found uh, at that point in time is that after people have been in the workforce for a while, let's say 10, 20 years, a lot of people become very tunnel visioned and they don't think outside the box. And that's what I will encourage you to do. It's probably what brought you to this program to begin with is think of new and innovative ways to do things that people aren't doing it in everyday life. As I pointed out, Dave Swalm was the owner of the company and that was fundamentally important for me. Uh, he was a great influence to be able to see 
and see his work ethic and how he approached things. I did not work with him on a day-to-day basis, but he owned the company, uh, and I was the new engineer. And given that we had common backgrounds from this university, it helped me quite a bit. From there, I moved on into project engineering. The biggest driver that brought me into that is the contributions I had made from process engineering. The company recognized those. They ended up putting me in charge at a very young age of the largest capital project they had ever done. And I think what surprised a lot of people in that is as I approached the project, I ended up showing the management of the company that the project economically did not make a lot of sense. Uh, so that really changed a few minds. It was a different approach. We were not just trying to grow for growth's sake, but economically there were different and better ways to do things, so I stated my case on that. It ended up working out well for me. Uh, the company did not do the project as it was originally envisioned. We took a different course that I enjoyed getting to lead. And so really, again, just making an impact, making a mark on something. That allowed me to be in a position where the company and I worked together for me to go back to school, and I pursued my MBA uh, at that point in time. The other thing I think also uh, that you'll, you'll hear me talk about a little bit today is different styles and different types of management. Uh, when I originally joined that company, it was owned by a sole individual owner. He was a very entrepreneurial person. Uh, a little bit about Dave Swalm. Uh, he, by his career, he was a trader. He bought and sold petrochemicals, and he did not have assets. But one day, he was offered the opportunity to buy a very large chemical company for around $40 million, and he agreed to do so. His problem was he did not have $40 million. Most of us don't have $40 million. So he convinced the company that wanted to sell him the plant to loan him $35 million. He put $5 million of his own money in, and he purchased the company with a seller finance note. And that paid out incredibly well for him. Obviously, his name's on the building around here. Uh, but that was a sole individual, a very entrepreneurial individual that owned the company. As I was a project engineer, as Dave wanted to retire, the management of the company bought the company from him. And we did that through a leveraged buyout. Uh, if you're familiar with the uh, leverage buyout, obviously this is putting a lot of debt against the company and against its assets. So we borrowed a tremendous amount of money, purchased the company from Dave Swalm. Uh, the purchase price at that point in time was $385 million. So he put his $5 million in and sold it for $385 million. It worked out very well for him. But that meant also that the management of the company suddenly had a $385 million debt. But if markets continued good, it was a very good opportunity for me, and I participated in doing that. Following that, once I received my MBA, I moved over to the commercial office. Uh, there I handled all the production planning for the company, and in my spare time I did a lot of analysis work. I will say the ability for me to move from a technical role over into a commercial role was a little bit difficult. Uh, if any of you have ambitions of doing something of that nature, you'll find that after you've been at a manufacturing site or a plant site for a while, people think of you as that's what you do. And you've got to be able to have a way 
to show people that, no, I can do a lot of other things. I can do analytical work. I can do commercial work. I can sell things to people. Uh, so I had to have a really good discussion with the company about my desires of doing that and show them that there were other things I could do. At the end of the day, that worked out very well for me. So I handled production planning for the company, uh, put in some different ways of doing things, and the company continued to grow. Following that, I became a supply chain director. I uh, was in that position for several years. This is where I really began to have larger groups working for and reporting to me and really hands-on management of a lot of people. Uh, this was customer service. This was logistics. Uh, this was meeting with the external clients, uh, the representatives from Dow and Shell and Exxon, and also the railroads. Uh, so a lot of collaboration, a lot of external exposure to people, which I would uh, suggest that you do. Just pointing out also, at this point in time, I was able to work with Hunter Henry, who uh, from the Alumni Center, you probably know the name. Fantastic gentleman. He was on our board of directors and just spending some good time with him, uh, just good quality time. He would come in my office, sit down, and we could share what was going on in his world and what was going on in mine. And believe me, those were two totally different worlds, uh, given where he was in his career and where I was in mine, but it was helpful just to understand and see his perspective and the things he had done. I then moved on and became vice president of a portion of the company, and this is really where things began to take off for me. Uh, unfortunately, uh, the management buyout that we had done put a tremendous amount of debt against the company. And yet again, we changed the overall management of the company because it filed for bankruptcy. We could not pay the debt. Uh, I learned through that experience that as an employee, bankruptcy is not always a bad thing. It gives you new opportunities. A lot of the management within the company changed. And as a young employee, I was put in a role of responsibility that I would not have imagined a couple of years before. And it allowed me to go out and do things and take on things that I uh, really had not just foreseen that I would get to do. Uh, this is really when I began to hit more of what I would term an entrepreneurial uh, stride. My specialty is in taking chemical processes and assets and coming up with ways to use those assets to make new and different products, often in a manner that other people haven't thought of before. So a couple of examples I have up here. We took an old idle plant asset that was shut down and sitting there and rusting, and I developed a process to run, uh, put feedstocks through that, and make a product for the propylene derivatives market uh, the company reviewed it, analyzed it. We put about $80 million into it, brought it online, and sold it out uh, from day one. So that worked out very well for the company and for me. Uh, at that point in time also, we decided we needed to grow further, and so we did an acquisition. And I was able to lead the negotiation uh, with the counterparty for the acquisition. This is where we bought part of Huntsman Chemicals' uh, C4 business. That was about a $240 million acquisition. Here I was just a little over 10 years out of school getting to do these things. And again, it was just a progression of opportunities that came my way. But I also feel very much that if you have an entrepreneurial mindset, you have to make your own luck. Put yourself out there, take some risks, 
and grow into these responsibilities. They will come your way. Uh, part of what we did also at this point in time, we brought the company out of bankruptcy. As part of that, as part of the management team, I was able to participate in uh, the equity side of bringing the company out of bankruptcy. So we had a company that was worth a very low value at that point in time, and I was able to get in more or less at the ground floor of that. Granted, it was a risky opportunity, but it turned out to be a very good one. I then moved over into a series of commercial roles. I felt like I needed to broaden my background, really uh, put together a broader resume and be able to show that I had commercial capabilities. So I asked to operate a couple of the company's businesses. And this is taking on the responsibility for the profit and loss, really the bottom line of those aspects of the company, making the decisions on how much product to sell in a given month, how much to buy, etc. cetera. Uh, what I chose to do was ask for the businesses that were the worst performing because I wanted the challenge. And as many of you have a technical mindset can understand and relate to, the best way to show growth on a business is to start with one that has a very low base. As I put here, we expanded the profitability of the business immensely. But when you're starting from a low base, that's much easier to do. But we ended up with those businesses looking very good, and it was a good, uh, a good time for me to enjoy and learn from that opportunity. Here I began to spend a lot of time with the board of directors, getting good exposure from them, working with individuals that are on a board. Uh, they have a different mindset. They have a broad background of experiences. Typically, board members aren't working with just one company. They work across several. They have very good contacts, and they have a good breadth of experience. So I was able to do that. And also, at this point in time, we took the company and we, we took it public and put it on the NASDAQ Stock Exchange. So I was given the opportunity to work with all the rating agencies, Standard & Poor's, Moody's, public uh, investors, etc. cetera. Uh, it was a really good experience. After that, I moved over and ran the strategy side of the company. Uh, as you can see, really just moving around within the different aspects of the company, really getting a good, strong background, supply chain, commercial, operations, technical, strategy, putting all the different aspects of that together. Uh, here I worked extensively not only with the board of directors, but also with the public, with the rating agencies, and began to work a lot with private equity firms who had become interested in our business as a potential acquisition target. A lot of times private equity will purchase private companies, but also if there are public companies that are attractively priced for them, they will take an interest in that. So I was able to work with a lot of private equity. Uh, I developed a concept to take, again, idle assets, uh, purchase natural gas liquids, and some other petrochemical products and make gasoline components out of it. This was an investment we made. It was about $400 million, but it worked out well. Uh, we made the investment, sold the contracts for it, uh, for all the customer offtake, and proceeded forward. And ultimately from that, we were able to sell the company to a private equity firm, which turned out to be a very good experience. 
So that's all my background I want to bore you with, but hopefully what you see out of that is the progression that I was able to make and the different steps that I took when the opportunities arose to progress through that. Uh, none of that was anything I could map out from the front or from the start, but I took the opportunities as they came. A little bit about the ownership structure. Uh, I was at the same company for 20 years, but just as we were talking through there, I started out with an entrepreneur who was the owner, a very gregarious, caring person who cared a lot about his employees. We went from there and did a management buyout where suddenly we owned all the business and we were responsible for it. Uh, I was at the same company when the court owned it, when the bondholders owned it. And coming out of that process, we then were owned by a lot of hedge funds. If you watch CNBC, I'm sure you see all kinds of things about hedge funds and their motivations, etc. cetera. Uh, I will tell you, hedge fund ownership is very short-term focused. Uh, they are not worried about what's going to happen at a company three years from now. They're worried about what's going to happen two days from now because they are in for the short term. And that's perfectly fine, but it's just a very different mentality. Following that, uh, got some experience with public ownership where you're having to produce quarterly financials and really talk about what's happening this quarter rather than what you want to do next year. And finally, seeing the private equity side of it. Uh, private equity comes in typically with a five to uh, sometimes seven-year time frame. They want to make investments in the company. They want to grow the company. They want to produce a very strong track record because ultimately they want to get their money back out at a defined time. Each one of those was very unique. Uh, each of them have a different perspective on the best way to do things. And they're all good to see and understand. I'm not going to say any of them are better than any other. But as someone with an entrepreneurial mind, I would just recommend you understand the uniqueness and the differences between each of them. Ultimately, after all of that, I decided it was time to do something on my own. So once we sold uh, Texas Petrochemicals to a private equity group, I agreed that I would stay on for a year following the sale, help out uh, with the transition of the business to them, and then move on and do something on my own. And there were a lot of factors in that for me. Probably some of these resonate with your thoughts today. At that point in time, I was financially stable. I could afford to do it. I could take on that risk. Uh, I had a good experience level. I had over 15 years of experience coming out of school. I had run businesses. I had a good depth on my resume. Uh, company historian. This one, really, a, a lot of you probably talk about and read about the length of time you should be in any one co company. I was at the same company for 20 years. At that point in time, I was the company historian. Anybody had a question about how something worked or how it used to work? They came to me. That's fun for a while, but after a while, it's not so fun. So it was time to move on. Uh, have a lot of confidence in your own abilities, knowing that you can do things without a safety net of the rest of a company around you. And looking out at the energy industry, it was the right time for me. It was a good, positive environment. Uh, prices were high. There was a lot of activity. It was the right time. 
And also, I had developed a lot of contacts to be able to go out and do things on my own. So, how did we do it? What did we do to really make that leap and go on, out on our own and develop a company? This was obviously a little bit nerve-wracking, but uh, it, was, it was enjoyable to do as well. I went out and put together a core team of employees. Uh, in the chemical industry, obviously, you need to be able to address strategy, but you also need to have a definite understanding of finance. Uh, as I was asking earlier about how many business people were in the room, finance is so important in anything you're going to do from an entrepreneurial angle I can't stress that enough. Uh, one way or the other, I strongly recommend getting a finance background. But we also had to put together people who handled operations, who knew commercial, and who were technically minded. And having that core team put together was the first step. The next is we developed our overall business plan. And this was not something you write down at night over a couple of beers on a napkin. may have started out that way, but by the time we perfected it, this was a very solid, concise, marketable uh, business plan that had been vetted by multiple parties to make certain the message was right. I prepared my family, or at least I thought I prepared my family, that, hey, I'm about to go leave my position. I've been there for 20-some-odd years. My steady paycheck may not be coming in next week. And that's a, that's a big leap to make. And then I left my position at my prior company, and we began using every contact that that core team had to go out and arrange meetings with all the private equity parties that we knew to begin raising money. We took our business plan and we did what we would call a roadshow to the various private equity firms. And we started out with about 12 of them, showing them our business plan, touting our backgrounds, and really looking for who could provide the equity backing for the things that we wanted to go do. And these are not small dollar items. Uh, we then, by having those meetings, created competition amongst those private equity firms to back us. Once several of them liked us as a team and they began to understand and like our business ideas, we then were able to have a lot of negotiating power with them for the terms, for uh, the amount of upside that we get, for how much of the company we control, for what is going to be required to have their financial backing behind us. From there, we settled on our equity sponsors, which is a private equity firm out of New Jersey called Energy Capital Partners. Overall, that process took about 11 months. That was 11 very trying months because you're running without a safety net. But from the day I left my corporate position until the day we opened our doors as our own startup firm was about 11 months. And it was a lot of behind the scenes, getting everything ready. You know, that is everything from signing the documents for arranging the dollars to fund you to making certain you have computers and desks and an office building to sit in. So who is Next Wave Energy? This is a little bit of an infomercial about our firm. Our focus is in natural gas liquids in petrochemicals, and in gasoline, making gasoline. Uh, we do that in a fairly non-traditional manner. We look at the markets and where those prices and where those components interact. Uh, 
and using the background that I have from 20 years of looking at new and unique ways to convert one product to another one and add value that the market may not either have seen, have thought of, or have had the ability to go do. Beautiful picture of me um, and my business partner. Again, I have a strategy background. I have a petrochemical background. My business partner has a 15-year finance background. He has worked with uh, Moody's, Standard & Poor's, rating agencies, arranging debt, raising money, being able to come through with funding when you need to get to that next step. The two of us together are a pretty powerful force, and we realized that's what we needed. So he did the same thing that I did. We both quit our corporate jobs and, and started doing this. A little bit about that core team. Again, it's myself, finance, operations, technical, and commercial. All steps are needed and all with a very good background. The equity that we went and got. Uh, we are backed by a private equity firm that manages $13 billion. They raise this money from individual investors. They raise it from so- sovereign wealth funds out of Europe, out of the Middle East, out of Asia, out of pension funds that your parents may have their pension dollars in, out of university endowments. All of those dollars funnel into the private equity firm, and then they then provide the equity backing that we need. Uh, This is a private equity firm that's been around for 10 years. They have a very strong track record. It's one of the reasons that we chose them. Private equity, as I said before, private equity has a time frame of five to seven years. When they provide dollars to invest, they're not providing those dollars to, to be there for the next 20 years. They want to invest them in you. They want you to grow their money, and ultimately they want their money back. They don't mind if it's through an IPO of your company or if it's through a sale of your company with the owners retaining, the management team retaining control of it, etc. And so these are some of the investments that Energy Capital has made other than Next Wave Energy. Uh, They disperse that $13 billion through multiple companies, and these companies have their own management team, continue to grow, do acquisitions, do sales, etc., Really, the marketplace that we play in is a result of shale. Uh, Many of you, I'm sure, have heard about shale drilling. Despite your positive or negative opinions of it, it has has contributed to a tremendous amount of growth in the U.S. oil industry and the U.S. power and energy industry. And those are some of the changes that my company focuses on. So, a little bit about what we're doing today. We are developing two projects right now. Uh, The way that we work, we spend half of our time on development and half of our time on acquisition. Uh, We are out not only to develop projects, but companies that are of the right size and are of the right maturity, we will acquire them and then grow and hold them over time. But the two projects we're developing, probably a little more interesting for you uh, and your entrepreneurial thoughts. Uh, Both of these are in Texas. One of them is a brownfield investment. Brownfield meaning that the assets are already there. 
they need a lot of work. They are not running at the moment. So this is going out and reinvesting in those assets, bringing that process back online, changing it. Again, using my background of existing assets, but operating them in a different manner. Uh, to, and this particular project produces plastic. This is about a $300 million investment, and we anticipate this project right now is scheduled to come online in 2018. So this, this is about uh, probably a little less than two years away at the present moment. Our other project is what I would call Greenfield. Literally, we are starting with a raw piece of land. It's in Pasadena, Texas. And this is utilizing natural gas liquids and petrochemicals, and we're creating very high-octane gasoline. Uh, we're right on the Houston Ship Channel. This is about a $600 million investment. So again, when we went to get equity backing, we went to the marketplace requiring a lot of dollars. Uh, our equity backing today is a little bit over $500 million, and we are continuing to increase that. Part of our projects will be financed by equity and part by debt. This project uh, comes online in 2019. So our responsibility is everything from building uh, the production unit, owning it, operating it, maintaining it, selling all the products, etc. And as a result of this, building out not only the management team, but the employee base to be able to operate all of these assets efficiently and safely. This is creating a petrochemical company from scratch, but it's using the backgrounds of the core team that we've put together and everyone else we bring on board. We want people within our company who have an entrepreneurial mindset. Uh, the last thing we want is someone who's used to a cushy job. They show up nine to five, they sit there and they go home. That, that will not work in our environment. Uh, this is a just, I don't know, I like it, I'm showing this off. It's a map of our site, it's there, the little red square. Uh, this is the Houston Ship Channel, and just showing you everything around us. We're in the middle of the hot zone of every chemical and refinery uh, there in the Houston area. A couple of things about our company. This isn't a lot of our presentations, but I think it goes to the core of an entrepreneurial mindset. Why we ask people, companies, business partners, etc., to work with us, so we are focused. We have all the core team put together. We're willing to do things on a cost-plus basis. We don't want to go out and take a tremendous amount of market risk. I'm not trying to buy at one index and sell at another. I want to make a nice spread in the middle, and to the extent that I can lock that in and fix it, uh, I'm happy to do so. Okay, so that's my background. Uh, that is a little bit about my company and what we're doing now. Uh, I thought maybe we could spend a little bit of time and just give you what I'm calling here random thoughts that I've collected over the years, and some of these are just good general observations. The first one, entrepreneurs think different from everyone else. I, you may understand that, you may realize that, but believe me, once you get out into the business world, you'll see it even more. A lot of people think that the way that an entrepreneur thinks is very bizarre. Uh, I've often been told how differently I think than other people. 
you'll hear the term thinking outside the box, etc. I don't approach things the way that most people do. And the fact that you're in this room means you probably don't either. Um, I always, in every performance review I ever had when I was young and just out of school, I would get two comments. The first one was, you develop everything at the last minute. And I did. I mean, that's me. Because I like to use every available second to analyze it and come up with an answer that's different from the way somebody else is going to do it. And I often got called the Lone Ranger. Uh, I am somewhat of a perfectionist. I want things done my way, but that, to me, that's fine, obviously. But as an entrepreneur, it's often hard to turn over the reins of some of that to other people. But you have to have a team that you're comfortable doing that with. And if this is you, embrace it. If it's not you, accept it. And that's part of learning and part of the academic environment that you're in, if this makes sense to you and it's something you want to do. Okay. Uh, I spoke a lot about this. I can't say it enough how important that I feel finance is. Uh, you may have great ideas and great thoughts and great technical products you can produce as an entrepreneur. But if you don't understand finance inside out, someone else is going to come along and try to take all the value of what you're doing away from you. You need a good, firm grasp of finance and the power of finance. Uh, how can you do that? Take classes on it. Uh, go get an MBA or just absorb the experience from the business level. You know, I often get asked, how important do I feel an MBA is? It's nice to have. I don't think it's necessarily required, but some kind of background in finance is going to be required of you at some point in time. Uh, if you don't feel like you need this background in finance, then I would encourage you to understand that I don't think you're seeing the whole picture of really understanding what it will take to be a successful entrepreneur. Uh, all business is personal. Uh, you know, it, people talk about uh, the new way of doing things or more of what I would call an Exxon approach where you just say, hey, I'll order this over the Internet or I'll sell it over the Internet and I'll do it from my office. That's a way business can work, but ultimately it's not the way most business works. Uh, how often do you continue to buy or purchase something from someone that you don't really like? or that you don't know. It's not natural. None of us do that. We gravitate to working with people that are like us and that we like, and that, that's human nature. But business is very much the same way. When times get tough, it's the business relationships you've been able to develop that are going to pull you through, and you need those. Good personal contact, good interaction with, with people. And it's simple. I mean, showing a genuine interest in people. I think that's really one of the things coming from Mississippi State that is ingrained in us. Uh, we're friendly. We like people. We talk. Uh, I think that will uh, pay off in spades as you go out into the world in an entrepreneurial mindset. Uh, one thing I encourage people to do, if you are a technically minded person that is not comfortable getting out and talking with a lot of people, that you don't know or don't know a lot about, go take the Dale Carnegie class. It may sound a little goofy. 
You may not enjoy it, but as an experience you'll look back on, that is well worth every dollar that they could charge you. Uh, Manage people the way that you want to be managed. You, You hear the phrase, treat people the way that you want to be treated. Um, you, you'll never manage other people if you can't manage yourself. If you can't get up and be at the meeting on time, if, if you can't adhere to a schedule, if you can't return your phone calls when people call you, etc., then you're not going to be able to successfully manage other people. So as you can, start adhering to this. I believe this enough, I put it on here twice. You can't manage other people if you can't manage the way you're doing things yourself. Uh, another one that I learned, I will say, from Dave Swalm. Within a company, there's always all kinds of culture issues. There's infighting. There's ladder climbing. So-and-so is not happy. We don't have this policy, etc. One thing I've learned that solves a lot of that is paying people well. If people are invested in what you're doing and they feel well compensated and they feel important, a lot of those items go away. And everybody is much happier when they own a piece of the pie. doesn't have to be a lot of the pie, but if you're an entrepreneur and you're starting something, have everyone involved, not only mentally but financially. Uh, Tim McGraw has it right. Uh, his song, Be Humble and Kind. It, it, it's worth it. Do it. To me, in business, manners are the most important thing you will find. Uh, it, it's nice to be smart, it, it, to, to have fantastic test scores, etc. All that are fantastic. But if you don't have good manners, no one's ever going to care. Manners will get you further in business than anything else out there. Uh, I like this saying, too. The, the guy working in the mailroom may be your boss next year. You should approach all people that way. Sometimes when you least expect it, uh, people show up in mysterious ways. Uh, the size of the pie. As entrepreneurs, we always tend to think, wow, I have this great idea, or I want to go do this, and I'm going to make billions doing this. Well, that's nice, but I would also to encourage you to begin thinking about it's not just the size of the pie, but how much of the pie you own and how much of the pie you control. And that goes back to the finance side of this. You guide the growth of the business, but the finance is going to decide how big the pie gets and how much of it you get to keep. And oftentimes, a small piece of a really big pie may be better than having a lot of a small pie. So if your business can continue to grow at a fantastic growth rate, you may give up ownership of different pieces of it over time, but financially you may be better off as long as you can control what's going on within it. Here's a one I don't know how Eric will respond to, but I, I tend to think of graduation as a draft. Uh, when I was in school, I was incredibly focused on my grades. I wanted my grades to be great. You know, grades are going to pay off. Grades are going to carry me through everything. This, to me, is kind of like the NFL draft. Your grades are going to set what rounds you go in for that first job, and they're critically important for that. But after that, after you've been playing in the NFL for five years, does anybody really care what rounds you got drafted in? 
It's your ability to go out in the world and take your ideas and convert them and convey them to people that are ultimately going to set how successful you are. So your grades are going to get you that first job. But beyond that, it's up to you improving yourself. And grades are simply a slice of that. Uh, the difference between management and leadership. In an academic setting, everybody talks about management and how you need to learn to manage and, and coaching people, etc. And to me, this is a little bit annoying. It, it's very academic. You can go get all those things out of a book. But management doesn't have any vision to it. Management, by its very nature, has a very low tolerance for risk. As an entrepreneur, you need to embrace risk. What is important to me here is leadership. Leadership develops a vision and takes on calculated, reasonable risks to make it happen. These are two very different concepts that often get treated the same. You can go get management out of a book, but to develop leadership, it's much harder to find. And as an entrepreneur, I would encourage you to spend your time thinking about vision, focus, and how you achieve things. This is a fairly young audience here. Uh, your 20s are when great things are going to happen. So can anybody name from the recent, let's say the recent Olympics, the name a 40-year-old that won a medal? I don't think there are any. Uh, there, there are no people that are over 35 that are putting out albums you're listening to. And, and the business world is the same way. If you're going to have a great, what I would call disruptive idea as an entrepreneur, it's going to come in your 20s. Use your time wisely. It's going to go by fast. But this is the age to truly make things happen. As you're in your 30s, as you're in your 40s, you can progress things, you can grow them, but you're not going to have that great disruptive thought or item you bring to the market, typically. Uh, a few of y'all may have heard this, but I, I like this one from Tom Brokaw, and it very much, to me, describes the business world. Real life is not like college. You've often been told that, that Things just don't happen in the real world as they do here. Real life is not like the relationships you had in high school. Real life in the business world is a lot like junior high. It's sometimes very petty. People do things for the strangest reasons. Get past all that and just understand that you have a better approach to things. Uh, I often tell people, though, that this means the pathway to promotion is not like a lot of people often think. It's not a matter of beating out 50 other people for a position. It's just being the one person who doesn't do something wrong. Uh, experience or money. As you go out into the world, you're going to find that you have a choice between working for experience or working for money. You can't do both at the same time. So... You may often feel, wow, I'm underpaid. I would encourage you to think about the experience you're getting. Because once you decide to go work for money, once you decide I'm going to become that specialist, I'm, I'm going to be better paid, 
that's fine, but then you're not going to get any more experience at it. And your career path will then level out. So as long as your company or you are gaining a lot of experience from what you're doing, that's perfectly fine. Uh, networking, we've talked a lot about. Uh, we'll skip that one. Last one. Uh, find a way to be different. And I'm not talking about your ideas. I'm not talking about as an entrepreneur. I'm talking about as an individual. I don't care how you do it. I don't care if you have a haircut that is crazy, if you show up to every meeting for the rest of your life with bright red socks, you need to have something about you that is different from everybody else. Because if you're just like everybody else, then no one's going to remember you. You're going to be just like everyone else. If you have good work ethic, strong work ethic, and you can make yourself stand out, that's when people remember you. And as an entrepreneur, you need people to associate your good ideas and your work ethic with something about you that they grasp. That's everything I have. Again, thanks for uh, giving me the time uh, to talk with you today. Yes. Great question. Uh, I will tell you, I think as part of Mississippi State, we're almost taught not to stand out. You know, work hard, be conservative, do a good job, and someone will recognize you. Well, that sounds fantastic. In a lot of cases, it's probably true. I think in my case, it was probably true because I worked myself to death. But I didn't realize the need a lot of times to stand out. Now, a couple of things I did do in later years, and these are really annoying to some people, but they work. I'm usually not at a meeting on time. I'm, gonna, I'm known to be the guy that's going to be 10 minutes late. I'll let everybody else get started. You can get the summary going. Then I'm going to show up. It's, it's almost a trademark for me at this point in time. Um, being the person who uh, can relentlessly, I can show up at any meeting at any time, and I'm prepared. I'm not going to go to a meeting I'm not prepared for, and I can ask the deep questions about it. Um, the way you dress, I mean, just, it, I'm not saying you have to dress nice. You do something a little different with what you do. Um, the most interesting thing I've seen someone do, uh, we had a gentleman at another company. He was a customer of ours, and the, the inflection in his voice, he would talk, really high and then really low, and he would switch it all around in a meeting. And, and it was almost it was annoying, but I remember the guy. <laughs> yes? It's a good question. Uh, I'll tell you my personal experience with it. 
Uh, I did the co-op program, and I arranged my schedule here such that my final semester, I only had one engineering class. And I was a chemical engineer, and I had plant design, and I decided, all right, I need to devote a lot of time to that. But that last semester, I took nothing but business classes and that one uh, engineering class, and I found it to work out very well for me. To be quite honest, I don't feel like the business classes take as much of your time up outside of school, outside of the classroom. I'm not saying they're not important. I just don't think they take as much of your time to study and prepare. But they're fundamentally important, and you can put a lot of those together in one semester. And that worked very well for me. I, I The last semester right before I graduated was almost nothing but business for me, and then I went out and started my career. You know, there's the what I would call old school and new school answer to this. Uh, I'm very much a believer of go out in the world and work for a couple of years and then go back. I think the MBA experience, you can relate a lot more to the classroom material at that point in time because you've experienced it in the work world. Now, obviously, the downside of that is a lot of people say, yes, I'll go do that in a few years. And you start a career, you start a family, you end up with a mortgage, and suddenly that doesn't look all that possible to do. Uh, I, I'm, I'm a night school MBA guy. I don't see anything wrong with that. I think that's a lot more accepted than it uh, was many years ago. But if you have the what I would call luxury of doing it a few years after you've been out in the workforce, I think that's better. I'm an engineer at heart, so I, I end up uh, putting my nose into a lot of technical matters that it, probably at this point in my career I shouldn't. Uh, I have to pull myself back from those at times. So, I, I mean, I still love to sit down and, and work through chemical process questions or, or calculate, you know, what the downflow of a distillation tower can be. Uh, but I find, having, I find myself having to pull myself out of those and leave those to other people. The business side, I love. It, it, the interaction with people and negotiation, I think, is fantastic. But I think I err to the business side. Or, to, I'm sorry, to the technical side. Anyone else? Okay. Best lesson I learned from Dave Swam. Generosity. Uh, I'll tell you what Dave did. Uh, he paid all of his employees 80% of the going market wage rate. So everyone in the company was very much underpaid. But the other thing he did is every 90 days, every quarter, he took the profitability of that company and gave a set percentage of it to every employee, all the way down from, from him all the way down to the janitor. And people would kill themselves to not only work there, but to do a good job for him. And really just getting that employee alignment, getting that buy-in is so critical. People would work so hard 
in a chemical plant that was 50 years old and at times falling apart to not only make the company better, to generate more revenue, but it was really a very family-like atmosphere because of that. I'll tell you another quick item about Dave Swam, since his name's on the building over here. The man loved blue uh, in an eccentric kind of way. Uh, His cars were blue. His house was blue. His pool table was blue. The bathroom was blue. uh, The company buildings were painted blue, etc. So he, he was a very blue guy. But I guess when you have that much money, you're entitled to do that. Yes. Uh, so switching from technical to business side, I, the hardest part for me was getting people to understand that I thought I could do it. And again, people, once you're in a technical role, people think of you as a technical guy. Uh, and the fact that you're suddenly going to show up and sit down in this meeting and start negotiating with this business guy, to them is very foreign to be able to see you doing and convincing them that you feel like you can do it and giving you the shot. Uh, that was difficult, and I think the other part of it is, as I said earlier, I think my natural tendency is I enjoy the technical side, so I can't entertain that too much, or then I become the guy who can't make the transition. You, you, you need to be able to show and act and demonstrate that you are that person rather than you think you can become that person. That's a interesting question. Um, I think for me it developed more out of necessity for the company than maybe my demonstration of an ability to do so. I had thoughts on the technical side of the way that we ought to be purchasing feedstocks that were different from the way the business people who didn't have a technical background understood. And so I ended up beginning to be involved in the meetings for the negotiation and explaining to the customer and to the supplier why we wanted to buy it that way. And once the business personnel heard that, it could then and, and saw that it related to the supplier and made sense to them, I think that helped me a lot. Anyone else? Okay, well, thank you very much for uh, allowing me to talk today and uh, greatly enjoy being here. Thank you.